Our text this morning is from Colossians 3, 18 through 21. You will find this passage on page 984 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Wives, submit to your husbands as is is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, sir. You may be seated. I can tell you're ready to have fun already this morning. Listen, before we look at this passage, there's something I would like to say. It's not a disclaimer. It's just a reality about families. Generally, families exist on a bell curve. (laughs) Um, On one end, you have families that don't have a lot of conflict. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, Some of those families, I'd say, look a little closer, right? (laughs) Um, Then you have the middle of the bell, and so most families ebb and flow. We have easy times, good times, we have hard times. And in those scenarios, generally, general family teaching applies and can be applied. Um, There's also the other end of the bell curve, uh, families that dwell in places that are much darker. And um, those dark places could be caused by abuse, adultery, abandonment, And what the session wants you to hear this morning is not a blanket uh, remedy for all kinds of families. We're speaking from a passage of Scripture that has to do with families mostly that dwell within that bell curve. But if you are in a situation in your family, a child, a spouse, uh, a parent, where you would consider yourself in those kinds of dark places, we're saying don't walk that path alone. Don't do that alone. Um, Our session uh, wants to walk with that through you. Our elders love you. They care about what's going on in your families. And so if you have a scenario like that, you can come talk to us, uh, two of us together, uh, in person, via Zoom, doesn't matter. We just want to hear from you and help you and pray for you and walk with you through that. And so I wanted to get that out of the way before we jump into this passage of Scripture. Um, And so allow me to pray, and then we'll look at Colossians 3, 18 through 21 together. Father, there is so much about our world that has seeped into our hearts and those things can cause us to not want to hear what we think we might hear this morning. I pray that you would just calm our souls, calm the voices Calm the emotions that we might be feeling already and allow us to hear your plan for the family. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, in our modern times, uh, specifically, uh, this, the second word of this passage can cause a lot of angst. Uh, the word submit in our culture has become a nasty word. It's become a nasty word. Uh, I submit to you today. There it is. Okay. Um, that is na- has become nasty because of the context with which our world wants to use that word. And that context is the context of power struggle. Power struggle. 
When our concern is who is in charge, who gets to have authority with no accountability, who gets to be the tyrant, submission in that context is always bad. It's always bad. And so uh, this context, uh, excuse me, the context of the world, you can't really find a use of the word submit that's not uncomfortable. Uh, we are not immune from that. We're not immune from that, church. We live in our world, and we take these concepts in, and sometimes as we look at Scripture, we run into a verse like this, and we can think, well, that's not very good. I believe this morning that if we look at the larger context, and we're actually going to start back in Genesis 1, it should only take us about six hours to get through all this. Um, I make that joke every week, and you guys still keep laughing. I'm waiting for the Sunday where you don't. Um, If we look at the larger context, I think that we're going to see something fresh, although ancient, fresh. And so this morning, we have to, on purpose, jettison about 60 years worth of cultural baggage as we look at this passage. We have to. We have to do that. We have to look at what Paul is saying in the context of what he has already said, in the context of who Jesus is, in the context of what God has created and set forth in his world. And so we're going to start this morning back with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. This is the story of family in the Bible. And we're not going to take six hours. It's only going to be a few minutes here. But uh, think back to the beginning, creation. In the beginning, God created man and woman, and he gave them a mutual mission. He gave them a mission together. Okay? That mission is to, to have dominion, to rule over the world together, to be fruitful and multiply That's not a one-person job. That's a two-person job. So they do that together. And to subdue, to rule over God's creation in his name, do that together. Okay? You see, there's a singular mission. And within that singular mission, which is to take the world and rule it in the name of God, he gave each of them a special role. So in the singular mission, they're in this together, he gave man and woman a singular role. So that first part you can see in Genesis 1 26 and 28, you can write that down. This next part you can see in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. In that singular mission, God gave man a special role. First of all, to work it, okay? That's the first thing it says. It says work it right in the Bible. Uh, He did not snap his fingers. It just means to work the garden, right? Secondly, to keep it, to protect it. So the special role within this uh, this, uh, um, dominion, be fruitful, subdue, is to work the garden and protect it. Keep it as is. To the woman, he gives a special role of easer, helper, assist the man in this God-given mission and by her namesake to be a life giver. That's her special role in the mutual mission, in the mutual mission. In this place with the singular mission, the special roles, there was unified peace. There was harmony. There was love. God was there. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And then man and woman together messed it all up. They messed it all up. Together they sinned. Together they chose their own mission. And if you see in Genesis 3 where they have eaten the fruit of the tree God said not to eat, God reads out consequences. Now, it's interesting, if you look at this, their consequences have to do with their special roles. 
The consequences that are dealt out have to do with their special roles. So remember, he, he talks to the serpent first and then, or Satan first, then he talks to the woman. And the two things that he says to her have to do with this idea of life-giving and being a helper. First, he says, in your life-giving, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. The special role of life-giving is now painful because of her choice. And because of their collective sin, there's now going to be pain as well in the, the, the uh, process or the role of helping. Uh, power struggle has entered the marriage now. Look at this. You des- your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Because of this choice they made, what has happened to this helpful, unified, peaceful relationship? Power struggle has entered the conversation. Power struggle has entered their relationship. And so the mutual mission of keeping peace and ruling God's earth in his name has taken a back burner. And now what's going to be the main topic of discussion? Who's in charge here? <laughs> Who's in charge here? It sounds familiar. Right? You know, I don't know about you. but um, And now the man also, he's being affected by this mutual sin. There's turmoil in his relationship with his wife. But when it comes to working and protecting the garden, the earth, that now is painful for him as well. It says right there that that God's going to bring thorns and thistles. Because of his choice, the ground is cursed. And so the singular mission with, with special roles has now been completely upended, completely tossed in the air. It's disorganized. And so if you fast forward from that moment, several millennia, into that complete broken mess enters Jesus Christ. That the, the, those power struggles, all that pain has been going on for millennia, for millennia, and here comes Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is inaugurating a kingdom that undoes those wounds, that reconciles those problems. And so Jesus, one of the first things he does is he kicks power struggle to the curb. Power struggle has no place in the kingdom of God. We've talked about this a little bit at the church level, but now we're talking about it at the family level. Jesus gives his followers a new path. And here's what it says. In Mark 10, as the disciples do, they're arguing about who's more important, and here's what Jesus has to say about that. This is Mark 10, 42 through 45. Now you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And the great one exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you, speaking to the church, must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see how Jesus is throwing this idea of who's in charge completely on its head. It's not about who's in charge or who has authority. It's about serving and loving and that peace that was existent at the very beginning of time. Jesus is bringing that back. As we enter this passage in Colossians, Paul, excuse me, As we've been reading through Colossians, all of Colossians, but specifically these identity in Christ passages, 
What is Paul doing? He's applying these concepts of peace and love and unity to the people of God. He's applying the kingdom of Christ and our identity to our lives as people in general in the church. And today, what is he doing? He's honing in on what it looks like to carry that same mission, to carry that same singular mission into the family, a special role. And so looking at this passage, it cannot be separated from its context. You can't just read, wives submit, turn your nose up and walk away without understanding what it's actually saying. That's what we're doing this morning. And so what is the context we're talking about this morning? First, we have an identity in Christ. We don't have our own identity. We have an identity that's based on his work in the past, the promise of eternal future, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives right now. We're defined by that. That's who we are. And as we live our life, we're what? Becoming who we are already. And in that, we saw what? Put to death these sins. We have to fight against those sins, assassinate them. And put on the character of Christ. Compassion, humility, kindness, meekness, patience. And in so doing, what are, we, what are we accomplishing? We're spreading that peace of Christ. We're reconciling with one another through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's our singular call. That's our mission, church to bring that peace, to bring the peace of love that bonds perfectly to the world, to each other. And so today, what Paul is doing, he's saying, now, in this special role, as we carry that singular mission into the family unit, we're going to talk next week what it looks like to bring it into the vocational world. As we bring it to the family unit, Christian husbands and fathers, guess what? You have a responsibility to your family. Christian wives and mothers, you have a responsibility to your family. And this is incredible. Even Christian children, you have a responsibility to your family. You have a special role in all this. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take this passage in order of the Genesis accounts. We're going to start with husbands, bring wives in behind that, and then finish with children So let's take a look at the commands here first for husbands and fathers. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Remember from a couple weeks ago that love is what? It's the, the binder of perfection. It's like the umbrella virtue of all the other virtues. And so uh, love begets the character of Christ, compassion, humility, kindness, meekness, patience. And so husbands, let's ask this question. What does it look like to love our wives? What does it look like to love our wives? Let me refresh your memory. A smattering of passages from Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things on earth. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now you must put them all away. Anger. Wrath, malice, slander, obscene, talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self and his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. 
So for all of us, guess what? We're called to do this in the whole body of Christ. And now we're being called as husbands to bring this thing to our homes with our wives. This thing, not something else. This is the context. He expands on it and says, do not be harsh with them. This is the same word, harsh, as you would use for bitter water. And so this is talking about resentment, because here's the deal. As we, as husbands, as our wives, are on this journey of becoming who we already are, coming to terms with our identity in Christ and letting the Spirit sanctify us, we aren't going to do that perfectly. (laughs) And all the wives said, amen. Um, This is a call to say, Do not resent your wives, even when you are doing the right thing and they're doing the wrong thing. Don't treat them with harshness. Don't treat them with bitterness. This is another way of saying, forgive them as you have been forgiven. This is a call to grace as husbands for our wives. Secondly, in verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This idea of provoking means challenging our children to the point of exasperation. This, uh, for me, here's a couple questions to ask myself. I'm going to ask them out loud to see if they pertain to you as well. Dads, are we making rules just to make rules? (laughs) I do it all the time. Are we correcting the life out of our children? Sometimes. And the question I have for myself and for you in our fatherhood, what does it look like to treat our children with compassion, humility, kindness, meekness, and patience? That's the context of this passage. That's what we're called to do in our special role as husbands and fathers is to exhibit those things in our home. So talking about this singular mission, we're called to bring the reconciliation of the gospel of Christ to all corners. And as our special calling, fathers and husbands, what is it? What's our special calling? We're no longer farmers. We're fathers. We're husbands. And so our calling is to cultivate and protect an environment of Christ-centered peace and harmony in our home. That's our calling. That's what it means when it says, love your wives Do not provoke your children. Be a cultivator and a protector of an environment of Christ-centered peace and harmony in the home. That's our main concern, our main mission. If we have any authority, whatever that means, that's what we use it for. If we have entered into family life, we've been given a corner of the earth to subdue for the glory of God, and it's our home, our home. That means that work, men, is not our special calling. Our vocation is not our special calling. Our work is not our identity. That's not our primary identity. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how a Christian exists in that context of vocation, but what we're hearing here is that, that Christ is our identity First, and as husbands and father, we have a special calling in our families to be keepers and protectors of that Christ-centered peace. Now, putting that peace in place, pun intended, 
The rest, I believe, flows out more easily, thinking about the role of wives and children, when we understand that it's not about just simply being in charge, deciding how much grocery money we spend, or where we put our retirement, or whether we buy a new car or not. This has a different flavor than that. It's not about who makes the decisions. This is about who leads the way into Christ-centered peace and harmony. And knowing that, knowing that that's the special mission in the home, when it comes to this idea of wives submitting to your husbands, it takes on a completely different flavor. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. That means that there is an improper submission and there is a proper submission. There is a kind that is not fitting, and there's a kind that is fitting. We've already hinted at this, but what is improper submission? It's when submission is made about the power struggle. Who's in charge here? Understand this, that forceful submission is not fitting in the Lord. It's not fitting. Tyranny, (laughs) there's no place for it in God's kingdom. Did we not hear what Jesus said in, in Mark 10? And so improper submission is when submission is made about strict obedience. I'm in charge here. Do what I say. To lighten things up a little bit, I didn't plan on telling the story. At my old church, uh, we had elders, we had deacons, and um, no offense to anybody who's an engineer here, but we had a lot of engineers, okay? And so the deacons at one point were putting up a basketball hoop. They were putting up a basketball hoop in the driveway of the church, and the engineers could not decide which engineered way was best. And so one of the deacons said, I am a deacon here, I will decide how we do this. That's not the point of any of that. If you understand what the word deacon means, it's servant. It's not a place of authority or basketball hoops, right? That's not what it is. We have to remember that there was a singular mission together from the very beginning of creation, man and woman together, together. Woman was taken out of the rib of Adam and we are in that mission together And so marriages that focus on who is in charge or it's a contentious place about authority, it's going to not have peace. That's what happened in Genesis 3. That discussion was a new discussion, and the discussion's been going on ever since. And so if that's improper submission, what is proper submission? It's not about power. It's, again, about that mission of bringing love and peace to the home. Submission to husbands that's fitting to the Lord is when a wife joins her husband in that mutual mission of Christ-centered love in the home. You see how this connects to Genesis 1? Submission that is fitting to the Lord is willing submission. It's voluntary. Submission that's fitting to the Lord is on a mutual mission and upholds special roles. to be the helper in the mission, the life giver in the home. That means when he messes up, what is the response? Compassion, humility, meekness, kindness, patience, a love that binds, keeps you on mission. And so the special role for fathers, according to this passage, cultivate and protect that environment of Christ-centered peace and love. 
For, for the wives in the room, the special role and the singular mission is to be a helper and a life giver. Work with your husband to cultivate Christ-centered peace and love in the home. What is beautiful about this formulation is that neither one depends on the other. You see this? You don't need one to be on point for the other one to be on point. Our, our call is to respond to Christ, not necessarily the behavior of the other person. Even in First uh, Peter, it talks about what, what are the benefits of a, a Christian wife with a non-Christian husband, her service, her submission in this way, looking for Christ-centered love and peace in the home, can win him over. It doesn't require you to have a spouse that's on point. Now, in the grammar here, Paul abruptly inserts verse 20, and so it really is... Um, uh, He's in the middle of saying something, and then he tells us verse 20, which is this, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So here's my call this morning to this particular portion. If you're under, if you're 18 and under, you still live with your parents. If you're above 18 and you still live with your parents, see me after. Um, if that really is a thing, don't worry about that. There's, the economy's really bad. Um, no offense, anybody, it's fine. Um, if you are a child, so I know some of you seniors are like, oh, I'm, I'm an adult now. If you still live with your parents, you have to listen. Listen to this. Now, the Greek language can be really tricky and grammar can be really fancy, but let me give you a, a good interpretation of what this verse means. If you're listening, Silas and Deacon, my children, listen, okay? Here's what this means in the Greek. Do what your parents tell you to do. Do what your parents tell you to do. That's it. Amen. Yeah, all right. We become Baptist at this moment, right? <laughs> now, that you might be rolling your eyes, children, but here's what's amazing about this command for you. What's amazing is the recognition that you play a part in the home in maintaining and promoting Christ-centered peace and unity. Most, most texts at this time wouldn't even talk about kids. Kids should not be seen nor heard was the rule, right? And so here, what's happening is Paul saying, listen, you are a, a unit in the family. You have a responsibility. You are bringing your own identity into your role, and it gives your role significance, children. It gives your role significance. Do what your parents tell you to do. As we look at what we've just discovered about Colossians 3 and we apply it, I'm certain that there are many families out there, including my own, that need repairing, need refocus. This is convicting. This is convicting. And the bottom line is this, the power struggle, this idea of who's in charge, it really does hurt our homes. It hurts our homes. There's something bigger to focus on. There's something better to commit our lives to. And Jesus Christ brings it. He turns it on its head. He who will be great will serve. We have, in many cases, in many instances in our life, in our homes, lost sight of the singular mission of promoting the bond of love. Promoting the bond of love. 
And the same thing we're, we've, we've, we've diagnosed in our churches, making it about who's in charge or whose agenda is best, and it's, and it's poisoning our churches, it's happening in our homes as well. And so as we struggle for peace and not power, as we put on in our special roles the characteristics of Christ, we have to understand that the source is not in us. We talked about this with the kiddos this morning. The power we need to do this is not in us. This is not a moment where we say, okay, trying harder. The truth that we need is not natural to us. The compassion, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the patience that we need is not ours. The source, the source of our fatherhood, the source of our husbandhood, the source of our, our motherliness, the source of our being a wife, the source of being a child that pleases the Lord, that's fitting to the Lord, is our identity in Christ. The work of Jesus, the future promises of Jesus, his present work by the power of the Holy Spirit now. That's where it comes from. And so as we were talking last week, the peace of Christ needs to be the referee in our home. That's the question we ask. Is this promoting the peace of Christ or is it damaging the peace of Christ? Are we dwelling in the word richly in our homes? Worship, family worship is not about checking a box or being able to brag about it to your Christian friends. It's about dwelling in the word, the, the source of power for us, Christian, together as a family. Are we doing everything in our special roles for the reputation of Jesus Christ? Are we giving thanks in everything? These are things we talked about last week. And here's the problem. How could we possibly live up to this? We can't. We can't. This is an overwhelming task. And that's where the pressure relief valve of the gospel comes in. When we fail... Christ gives us grace and forgiveness. Why? Not because he's overlooking it, because of the cross. When we fail, Christ relies on his work to how he treats us. And how does Jesus Christ treat us? With compassion, with kindness, with humility, with meekness, and with patience, with love. And so husbands, wives, children... We're not called to be perfect. We're called to rely fully on Christ and reflect Christ to one another <clears throat> in our homes. I think it's also important, church, as we approach the Lord's table to remember dramatic drinking pause that we are the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. So think about all the things we, we've heard this morning. There's a singular mission, a singular mission. What is that? The reconciliation of all things to Jesus Christ. We as his bride, his church, are his helper and his life giver in this life to his singular mission. That's our job. And so as we come to the table this morning, we can be reminded of another passage where Paul talks about husbands and wives, and he actually gets distracted in the middle of it, and he begins, instead of talking about husbands and wives anymore, he's talking about the church in Jesus Christ. Listen to this from Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And this is where he starts talking about the church as... as um, an example as the actually over, overriding principle for how we treat our wives. It says that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Church, as the bride of Christ, why wouldn't we want to submit to that husband? What a beautiful picture. And so as we move forward as a church, as the bride of Christ, and we are looking at our gifts and we're looking at the mission, we need to come back to Christ for the, the energy, the motivation to do these things. We are recipients of his gentleness and his love in the cross and his resurrection. We are partners with him and his singular mission. And our special role is to willingly submit and help him. And we get this pressure relief valve, the gospel and the Lord's Supper. And so this morning as we come, that's what this is about. Remembering, this is not about getting the work done. This is about relying on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This morning, there's two responses to this you can have. Either you can accept your failure, accept your sin, accept the grace of the conviction of Jesus Christ, and you come and you eat. And what does that mean? It means, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, it's only Jesus Christ. Yes, I profess that he is my Savior, and only he is my Savior. You've been baptized, and and you are part of the family of God. Come and eat. Come and be nourished. The other side of this, the other response is, I don't need any of that. I don't need somebody in charge of my life. (laughs) And so if that is the case, if you don't need Jesus, if you don't need forgiveness for your sins, you don't need the Lord's Supper. And so it makes absolutely no sense to come and participate. So we'd ask that you fall into those categories this morning. Let's take a moment to pray quietly to ourselves. Let the message of this scripture sink in and may we apply it to this time of eating the Lord's Supper together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we, as sinners, we are destitute without your payment in the past. We are powerless without your Spirit here in our lives in the present, and we are hopeless without the promise of salvation in the future. And so, Lord, I ask this morning you'd use these gospel truths to empower us, to motivate us, to remind us of the source of our energy, our power, to bring your reconciliation to the world and to our homes. Use this meal, bless this meal, to convince us of our forgiveness, that we might share that forgiveness with others, Remind us that you are the living water that quenches our spiritual thirst and encourage us, Lord, by your spirit in the pursuit of Christ-likeness in every area of our lives. We need that, and I pray for it this morning.
In the name of Jesus, amen.